how do you see God? Right? God is just a, a three-letter word, isn't it? G-O-D. Speak to lots of people. Do you believe in God? Oh, I believe in God. But what do we mean by that? That's something that, that's very important. And when I was thinking what to speak about, um, I always have to go back and think, what did I speak about last time? Because I, I always have to write it down. You know, not, not I've got a terrible memory, but you know, I hate the thought. If, if I have a, a nightmare, it's turning up to speak somewhere where I spoke the week before and I'm speaking the same sermon. It's that kind of thing. And, you know, we all suffer from memory. I, I'm sure you know about the, the old couple who had memory problems, right? And they went on for ages and they said, oh, we'll have to do something about this. So what happened was they went to the memory clinic and the person listened very graciously and said, well, what to do is write everything down. <clears throat> so that's what they did. They were getting on great. And one night they were watching television and the wife said to the husband, oh, I fancy ice cream. I really fancy ice cream. And she went on for about 10 minutes. Oh, I fancy ice cream. And he said, I'll go and get you ice cream. She says, do you want to write it down? <laughs> and he said, no, I'll be okay. 20 minutes later, he comes back with a, a plate of bacon and eggs. <laughs> and she says, look, I told you, you should have written it down. You've forgotten the toast. <laughs> <laughs> memories, memories, a big, big problem, isn't it? You know, I'm, I, I'm not going to go, I better get going to speak, but, you know, I suppose I'm like lots of folk, I can forget what happened 10 minutes ago, and yet I could explain to you in great detail something that happened 50 years ago, yeah? We all identify. How do you see God? I probably should have, what I did forget, I should have put a question mark up there. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says these words. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, right? God is speaking through a prophet called Isaiah in the Testament. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, how humanity thinks, me and you, and how God thinks are not on a parallel course. God's thoughts, God's ideas, how God sees things are on divergent paths. And part of the great problem that we have even in the church is lots of people don't understand that and that one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit is given to us is to bring us back into what we call alignment with God and what I want to do as we go through our study today is try to get back to that God's thoughts are not my thoughts we're different we think differently he wants to refine me deal with me so that I begin to think along the same lines as he thinks. Well, there's a little man, and he's like most of us when it comes to something like God, is fully questions. 
what's God like? Who made God? We've all, we've all been there. We've all had children asking us these questions. Two big important things are family and what we call culture. And they tend to form, as you see, a big block because family, culture, condition us. You see, it's very hard for us to understand, but we've all been brainwashed. Right? It's called growing up in a particular culture. It's called growing up in a particular family. And when people say to me, um, you're a Christian, you're brainwashed, and I say, of course I am. I'm brainwashed. My wash, my brain's been washed. Because everybody is brainwashed. You understand that? You plonk yourself in the middle of uh, Gaza or anywhere, you know, East, Eastern country, anywhere, and you will find a whole lot of people who have brain been brainwashed to think differently from you. It's just part of how we are as human beings. As a family, lots of us have been brought up in, in a family that perhaps, I think I once said, our, the family I was brought up in was dysfunctional before the word was invented. And one of the things that you find is as you grow up, that's going to affect your view of God. I, I got sent something, and I'll just read it to you. I always like get some. I always get sent a, a wee funny thing, and this probably most of us had problems with our dads. Well, this was somebody wrote this when I was younger. My dad found out I had an imaginary girlfriend. He said, "You know, you could do better." Thanks, Dad. That means a lot. I replied. He said, I was talking to your girlfriend. <laughs> We've all been brought up with the family, haven't we? With fathers, mothers, families that have been maybe entrenched. It's all we've got, believe it or not. Everybody says, oh, do away with the family. And what have you got? You've got bureaucracy and everything. It's worse. And for good or ill, all of us have been brought up some of us were brought up in good families, others not so good, and that's how it is. But that affects how they're going to see God. That affects us. Right? There was a man, two old men playing golf one day, and the guy was away to pop, and suddenly a hearse went by, and he stopped, took off his hat, his playing partner said, well, that's incredibly respectful. And he said, well, it's the least I could do. After all, we were married for 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> Entrenched, isn't it? That's what happened. It does happen. We've all been brought up in it. That affects how we see God. And that's important. See, if you've had a bad deal with your father... When suddenly somebody comes and says, God wants to be your father. That's the last thing you want God to be. Because you've got an image. You've got something that you're going to project onto who and what God is. And it's the same with your culture. We're in a time now where, by and large, nobody really 
Well, people believe in God, but they don't want a God who's going to interfere with their lives. And that's something different. And again, that is projected onto God. So everybody's happy to have what a man called A.W. Tozer called, you know, the, the cowboy in the sky. You know, where the cowboy talks about the old man in the sky who, who looks after us. But what you've got to understand is that you and I, by being in a family, by being in culture, are affected how we see God. You can't get out of that conundrum. So, how do people see God? Well, I'm going to give you six ways people see God. God is a policeman. Big thank you to Andrew for modelling that for me. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. That was great. Hello, what's going on here? People see God almost like a policeman trying to catch you out. And you're worried every step you take, every thought you have. (sighs) What happens if God finds out? I remember praying for somebody and we'd been praying a long time over a good period And then one day there came a great realisation of how the person really was. You know know how that, the penny drops and you suddenly realise how you've been to your family, how how you've been to everything. And and then they said to me, um, oh, do you think God will accept me? And I said, well, see last week you told me that God loved you. And this week, all that's happened is he's let you into a secret. He's known just how bad you are. But you see, she responded in the policeman model. God's found out something about me. I'm bound to have problems. Then there's a God who's almost like the control freak. But all these are projections that come from culture, that come from our, our family upbringing. Then you can have the God who's always in a bad mood. <laughs> People can grow up with these models. They control your thinking. They control, even though, as we're going to see, you can have the Bible, these control, ultimately, how you're going to see God. And then there's, well, blow yourself up, see if I care. The whole idea of a God who's indifferent. Now that was the basis in the 19th 19th century. Um, That was the basis of a whole kind of philosophy called deism that believed that God made the world, but then he stepped back and he just let the world get on with everything. That's where most people think today. And the idea of God being concerned about you, me, being concerned about the planet, well, God's up there. We've got to get on the best we can down here. And that kind of idea of God. Then you can have, and this is probably where lots of us live in, where God's a spoil sport. He's not going, he's not going to give you what you want. In April the 3rd, 1960, a man called Dennis Bennett, an Anglican priest, stood up in his church in Vermont, California, St. Mark's, and announced to his congregation that he'd been baptised in the Spirit 
and it had started speaking in tongues. Now that had been the preserve of the Pentecostals. The Anglicans looked down in the Pentecostals and the idea of a Anglican priest standing up saying that was anathema. He ended up getting the heave. He got his books and he got thrown out of the church. In his book, Nine O'Clock in the Morning, which is really a story about the beginning of what we call now the charismatic movement, he was one of the first people and started speaking, preaching it. There are now estimated hundreds of millions of people in the Christian church who would identify as charismatic. But it began with him standing up. And, and by charismatic, it's, it's, you know, you have your Pentecostal churches, but this was a move of the spirit in the Church of Scotland, the Anglican Church, the Roman Catholic Church, the Baptist, the Brethren, churches that had frowned upon the Pentecostals. But one of the things that struck me way back in the 70s when I first read his book called Nine O'Clock in the Morning, he prayed for healing, he had a lot of success, but he told the story of a very faithful Christian. And what happened was that he, he was praying for healing for her and he kept praying about God just doing this and that. And then he suddenly had this, what we call a revelation. He said, tell me, do you believe God wants to heal you? And she looked at him and said, no. And then he said to her, if Jesus walked into this room, do you believe God do you believe Jesus would heal you? And she smiled and said, oh yes. Oh yes. A disconnect. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen, come on, interact with me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that highlighted something for me because I realized in life there can be this disconnect that, that if I was to say to everybody here, right, I've just had a revelation from God. God's going to bless everybody here except one person. <laughs> Who would that one person be? <laughs> eh? Most of us would say me, wouldn't we? Am, am I kidding? Are you, are you with me? Yes? Yeah. Nod your head, smile. Yeah. Right? Do anything but dance, right? <laughs> right? Nod your head, yeah. God's going to bless everybody here but one person. Oh, well, that's it. I'm the one person. Why do we think like that regarding God? Again, it's all part of this experience, this projection onto God. And the, the last one there where God's really quite just concerned about himself, worship me, etc., etc., and a, a self-centered God. All these things, I think, are projections that come out of what happens to us. And this is incredibly important to understand it because every human being is affected by this in one form or another. Whether it was a, a, the caveman right through to the nuclear scientists, everybody is affected. They are going to project onto God something of themselves. So here's a conundrum for God. What does he do? 
And you have to understand this truth. If you can understand this, then you understand Christianity. If you don't understand it, you, you really miss a lot of what the faith's about. The bottom line is simple. Human beings cannot, cannot align themselves with God without God revealing himself to them. You follow me that? That's incredibly important. Remember how we said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. How, how do I get to know God's ways or God's thoughts if I'm brought up in a family that, that's brainwashing me, I'm brought up in a culture that's brainwashing me, how, how, how can I get to the stage where I can align myself to what God thinks and how God acts and what God is like. Well, here's one of the things that's important to understand. In your Bible, how can I put it? I always say this, and I, I don't mean detrimental to any other group or any religion or anything, but you see, as Christians, we don't believe that this book, the Bible, just suddenly fell from the sky, right? It didn't just suddenly fall from the sky and boom, we've got everything about God. It didn't work like that. So for instance, say the, the, the Islamic faith believes that one time Muhammad met an angel who interpreted everything to him and he wrote down what they call the Quran. It came direct, so it can't be at fault. The Mormons who've come across, Joseph Smith, he found a group of plates, he translated them. Again, the angel helping them. There, there's no intermediary, there's no life, and that's now the word. But you see, the Bible's totally different. You understand that? The Bible's quite different from every other religious book, Hinduism and all that, because the basic thing of the Bible is this, God acts. God does something. A whole group of people are wandering through life and God acts. And that has quite a profound effect. They suddenly have what's called a revelation of what God is like. Now, I've started reprocessing on quite prayer time. I'm doing studies on it. But you know when we pray, hallowed be your name. You know, our Father, our Father, Hallowed be your name. I pray six, seven names of God over myself. Because you find as you go through, God has revealed himself as, as in certain characteristics. That he's the one who sanctifies us, the one who makes us whole. He is peace. He, he is healing. He is all these things. He is a shepherd. All these things are all part of people interacting with God and revelation. Then you get a reflection on it. What was this all about? And then you get the fourth thing, which is the writing it down. And that's what you have now in your Bible. 66 books, and people poo-poo the Bible, but 66 books, different writers in different cultures. But a, a theme going right through it. 
that God has revealed himself and in that revelation he's saying something about himself and something about you and something about me. The, the Bible is one of these books that's, that, that's I, I, incredible if you stand back and think about it. How all these different writers, different ages covering that are all following a theme that ends up with Jesus on a cross, ends up with Jesus rising from the dead, ends up with the Holy Spirit being given to the church, and ends up with the church going out telling everybody what God has done in Christ. And the Bible basically is a revelation of God, and it tells us this. God is seeking people. Every other religion, by and large, is all about people seeking God. You ever understood that God is seeking you? Think about that. God is actually seeking you. It begins in the opening part of the book of Genesis in the story of Adam and Eve. God's in the garden and he answers a question and he says, Adam, where are you? And the whole of the Bible in thousands and thousands and thousands of years is God still asking that question to humanity. Where are you? Where are you? God does the seeking. That's incredible, isn't it? I always remember it was John Wimber, who some of you have been doing um, Alpha. You'll know that John Wimber was really used by God to touch Nikki. What was it? Who's Gumbel, that's right, Nicky Gumbel, who did the Alpha thing. And I always remember once listening to John Wimber. I was at a meeting where he was speaking. And he said that he had changed his language. And he had changed his language where he said, I'm no longer going to say that God loves me. I'm going to say God likes me. And he wants to hang around with me. Is that not great? Because so often we can think, well, God loves me, that's his job. But I'm not sure if he likes me. But that's the whole thing of the scriptures. God is doing the seeking. The second thing is God is working to a timetable and a purpose. If in the 1930s I had said to you, you know, in about... 18 years' time, the world will be on the brink because God is working out a plan where the Jewish people will come back to Jerusalem, Jerusalem will be the capital, Israel will be the focal point of the world. I would be laughed at, just as a lot of the people who were writing that stuff were ridiculed. I don't have to tell you. The Middle East's on a tender hook at the moment. Right? We in the West can't get rid of Israel because it's the only democracy there. It's the only foothold that the West really has. And so we can't get rid of it. Yet at the same time, paradoxically, governments can't stand it. And if I was to say to you 80 years ago, 90 years ago, Israel will become the focal point as you find in the scriptures. 
as you find where it talks about invading armies from the north, where you have words like Babylon, Baghdad, all these things, they're all key players. And now you've got Iran to the north of Israel pulling all the puppet strings. God is working out to a timetable and a purpose. And it's good to remember that. But here's the other great thing. God is relational. He's looking for people. He's working out a plan and purpose. But he, want, he wants relationships. He doesn't want to be any of these six things. You know, up here. He doesn't want to be that. And as we read the stories in the Bible, you find Jesus told a lovely parable about God and about God's attitude to human beings. And it's a story we call the prodigal son. But it's a story really of two sons. And the two sons had one thing in common. They were different in every way. But they had one thing in common. They didn't understand or know their father. Because one was a prodigal who blew everything and one stayed at home and just fermented in his anger with what the father would do. And Jesus ended his wee story by saying, and he arose and came to his father. That's a prodigal. But while he was still a long way off, the prodigal thinks the father's going to, well, he's going to hammer me, he's going to do this and that. I'm going to come back as a servant. But in his description of God, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt <coughs> compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The picture of God. The picture of God for you and me. And, and so you see, the most irrelevant question that dominates so many Christians is, does God love me? And from an understanding of scripture, it's, it's, it's a question that you don't have to ask. No, does God love you? No, he likes you. <laughs> God likes you. Have you ever thought of that? God likes That's a great part, isn't it? God likes you. Right? As somebody in you. Right? Me and you. Right? God loves us. God likes us. So, so important. So here's your choice. What do you go for? What do you go for? This revelation of what God is like or these kind of things that we've all grown up with, that we've projected onto everything. Now, here's a big question. It's easy to say, well, I'm a Christian, you know, I've got the Bible, I was born again, blah, 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 and me, it was 1970, etc., etc. I really do believe in all that. It can still affect us. And here's a big question. Do you see God... Is God the Father, or do you see him as the Godfather? Most of us have seen the film, haven't we? Vito Corleone, the Godfather, controls everything, and everybody's always in their debt to him, and he manipulates and controls everything, and people are protected <coughs> in the Godfather's realm, but they're controlled by fear and everything. 
how do you see God? Do you see God as God the Father? Or is he more like the Godfather? And the Godfather really, for the Christian, is the culmination or the bringing together of all these pictures that we all grow up with. And that's an incredible, incredible challenge. And so what I want to really do is understand that like the Godfather, God gives us an offer that we can't refuse. That was a big thing, wasn't it? The Godfather. An offer you can't refuse. Let me read to you now from here. It says Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Here's the offer that God has for you. Right? And even if you've been a Christian 50 years, you've got to, you've got to continually, like, like I said, I've got to make this fresh because all these thoughts can so easily creep in and begin to contaminate my understanding of who and what God is. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked. He's talking to the Christian church in a place called Ephesus. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I want to concentrate really on the, the, the second part of that whole passage, but God being rich in mercy. First of all, the Father's attitude. When did God love you? When you're dead in trespasses and sin. He doesn't love me because of, you know, I became a Christian and tried to tidy up my life. I, that's not it. He loved me while I was in my life. It was a mess. I went through life, didn't become a Christian until I was about 20, but as a teenager in that, believing that Christianity was for what I always called the goody-goodies. And it wasn't for the baddie-baddies, like myself and my friends, etc., but the good news of the gospel is this. Everybody's a baddie baddie. And the good news is, while we were baddie baddies, Christ died for us. Does God love me? <laughs> while I was in the mess, 
Christ's life. That's why I'm a mess. Even though your life's a mess, it, it's, that, that, that doesn't stop it because God's, God's been, well, he's been doing the work for a long time, delivering people out of their messes. He knows what he's doing. The second thing there, the transition. Notice what he does. And this is what being a Christian is. Being made alive with Christ. What is a Christian? A Christian essentially is somebody who was dead. And because of God acting in their life, they're now alive with Jesus. Can't get any better. This is an offer. We can't refuse. Lots of folk do, though, I said. Here's the offer. All these pictures you've got of God, they're all nonsense. I'm not a Godfather. I'm the one who loves you when you're dead in sin. And I want to transfer you now into a different relationship with me based on Jesus and what Jesus has done. And notice this. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places of Christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He's given a place, given us a place of authority. In other words, in Christ, you should be controlling your destiny, not the world controlling you. And if there's a sad thing about most Christians, myself included, I, I always take myself and I go through periods. Circumstances, how things are, can be the controlling factors in my life. And that's not how it's to be. To be seated with Christ is to be seated in a place of authority where you can begin to change your world to bring it in alignment. Remember I said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not. To bring it into alignment for a God who's only got the best for you. And that's a great, great challenge. And this one here, for grace you perceive, how does he enter into it? Well, you've got to just simply believe it. You've got to believe it. Um, <clears throat> there was a man in the Old Testament, Nahum, who was a leper, and he went to a prophet in Israel, and the prophet said, you know, go go and just wash yourself in the Jordan, you'll be clean. And he did, he, you know, he was a great commander. We would say he had a flaky, because he, he, he was so angry, because he thought, where I come from, the rivers are cleaner, the rivers are better, etc., etc. But the prophet said, you go and dip yourself in that dirty river, and you'll be healed. And he wasn't going to do it, but eventually he did it. He believed it. And he went in, and he was healed. And it wasn't anything he did other than accepting what had been told. And for you and for me to enter into what God had, is to just simply accept. And, and I, I would say to you, see this week, keep saying to yourself, God likes me. Right? God actually likes me and he wants to hang around with me this week. 
in everything I do, he wants to be there with me. And then this one, notice it's a free gift, right? The free gift is simple, Paul says, so that nobody can just boast. Nobody can say here, well, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm this, I'm that, because of, you know, I've got a nice face, or, you know, I've been educated, or I've done this, or I've done that. It's a free gift for everybody. And it doesn't matter whether, you know, where you are on any kind of scale, from the bottom to the top, everybody is, it's just a level playing field. The late queen was no different before God than me. We both had to believe. And her status and my status never came into the equation with God. And that is so, so important. And notice this. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. It says we are his workmanship. The, the Greek word means poem. We're the poem of God, poema. We, we, we are people whom God has fashioned and wants to fashion. And notice it's for good works which God prepared for hope beforehand that we should walk in them. That God has a plan, God has a purpose for your life. And it doesn't matter how old you are or anything. God has a plan and purpose and he wants you to walk in that plan. Walk in that purpose. And notice it's not just really for simply the now. It's for the life to come. I, I tend to lean towards the idea that this is practice. <laughs> Being a Christian is practice for a life to come. To learn how to walk with God. To learn how to, to experience the Father. To learn how to do things in alignment with the Father. It's all preparation, not simply for this life. It's for the life to come. Remember how, if I just flick it back quickly here, remember how with this here it says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In the coming ages, it's not just simply for this life. It's for the life to come. And I'll go quickly here. Here it is here. We all know this verse. Yes? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. A little exercise, okay? Um, I should have taken out the that and put an if in, but never mind, you'll get an idea what I mean. Instead of the world, let's personalise it, right? I want you to read that and put your own name in it. Right? For God so loved Sandy, but he gave his only son, that if Sandy believes in him, he should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn Sandy, but in order that Sandy 
might be saved. You put your own name in that. I'll read it again, and I'll say my name, and I want you to read it with me and say your own name. Yes? Then we can do that. Easy exercise. I've done it with six-year-olds, so I feel, I feel confident. <laughs> right, okay, so we can... Right, and miss out the the and add a... You ready? For God so loved Sandy that he gave his only son that if Sandy believes in him, he should perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn Sandy, but in order that Sandy might be saved through him. And that's you. That's me. So how do you see God? Huh? God likes me. And God wants to hang out. God's been seeking me. And just as he said, thousands and thousands of years he said people's name. Just as he said, Adam, where are you? He's always saying, Sandy, where are you? Jean, where are you? John, where are you? Jim, where are you? Jesse, where are you? You know, he's always doing that. So let's have a few minutes quietness now, right? And I want you to say to yourself, God likes me. God likes me. And I'll lead us in a prayer where finally we can just demolish, dismantle all these pictures that are basically keeping us away from the God who likes us and loves us. So let's pray together. Father, in the quietness, we would pray simply and ask for the Holy Spirit to come and to take these words and allow them to touch our spirit. Father, your desire is that we turn from death into life. Your desire is that we walk with you through this life. Your desire is that we fulfill all the stuff that you've planned for us before the beginning of time. And I would just pray for every person here, Father. Wherever we are in a relationship with you, this morning, 
we want to truly call you Father. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you that his blood, his sacrifice makes us whole. And I would just simply ask now, Father, for just life to be released to us. Wherever we are in that, that, that spectrum, let us now go further and deeper into experiencing And if you're not a Christian or that, or if you've been on borderline or anything, I want you simply just to say, thank you, Father, for Jesus. And I ask you now, reveal yourself to me. Let me enter into a relationship with the God who likes me and who wants to be with me. Father, you've heard every prayer and we simply say, Amen, in the name of Jesus.